devoted my whole entire life from 15 years old to what I am right now to the wrestling world. And there's not a damn thing that I regret. Harley was a man's man. He was a, a, a man who loved the business had ultimate respect for the business, defended the integrity of the kayfabe and the shoot aspect of what we did. He was a great in-ring performer. And whenever I say great, he was one of the all-time greatest. The Harley Race, the Iron Man, you can't stop him. If anyone ever entered the ring and faced Harley Race and said he wasn't one of the toughest men alive, they'd be lying. As a hell of a world champion, a gentleman, and a guy who uh, brought a lot of class to the belt and to the business. Hardy will pride himself the rest of his life on being NWA champion, you know, as we all do. You know, how many guys were the NWA champion? This man was the heavyweight champion of the world. There's no, there's no greater title. I think probably the greatest world champion ever. Harley, uh, brother, was, uh, I'm telling you, uh, in, in the top five of uh, uh, brother of all the performers in our business. It was the Harley Race era. For 10 years, nobody could beat him. He held the belt with dignity and respect, had a knowledge and love for the business. I think that was second to none. What Harley is, is he's a student of hard knocks. You know, if you're gonna tell me to name some phenomenal wrestlers from the era that I was in, Harley Race, would definitely be one, you know, and be right up there. The fans of that era probably shortchange him uh, simply because he was the guy at the time that was the glue that made everybody else look good. Legendary tough guy, and I, I don't think, I, I, I don't remember anyone really ever going out there and, you know, and challenging him. Um, it had that type of reputation, so. In other words, Harley was the man and he ran the show. One of the all-time greats, one of the legitimate tough guys, somebody who kept the business at a high plane and wanted to keep it there, wanted it to be respected, and wanted to be respected himself. He should be totally right there at the top. To the fans, he was never the flashy guy, the face of wrestling, the stereotypical pro wrestler that you would see on network television or appearing on a game show or doing a guest appearance. He was the guy that night after night came in and, and had an incredible match and actually didn't get the credit from the fans in the days when before they were smart because when you had a match with Harley Race, you looked so good, it looked like that you were the greatest wrestler in the world. So the fans were like, why can't they beat that Harley Race? Harley commanded respect. Harley Race's legacy, the world's the world's fastest beer drinker, the uh, world's fastest car driver, the uh, world's greatest everything. And I'll tell you what, is, I think he is. One of the toughest guys to ever lace up a pair of boots, but also uh, one of the most dependable, one of the most accomplished. And, and the legacy that, that he leaves probably is just that Harley Race was a stand-up guy for the talent, for himself, and for the wrestling business in general. Harley Race was one of the ones that had something special. So Harley definitely defined the championship in, in the late 70s and the early 80s. 
he just carried a different aura about him. And when he came in in that belt and just his simple warm-up jacket, but then he started taking all those amazing bumps. And also when he was on the offense, you believed it. I'm sure the guys he was working with believed it too. Um, it was He was a level above. You knew you were seeing somebody that you were, it, it was special that he was on the card. It was special that you were getting a chance to see him in person. He's Mr. Wrestling. From A to Z, he can coach you, and he, then he could, could do it. His fingerprints are on, on wrestling today, and the sport wouldn't be what it is today if there hadn't been a Harley race. The greatest wrestler on the face of God's green earth. following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Friday, August 2nd, 2019, and you are tuned into the Hitting the Marks Pro Wrestling Podcast, powered by the Roar Network at thecorvillaposition.com. Presented by Hamni Media. And in association with Last Word on ProWrestling.com. On this week's show, we're talking New Japan, AEW, PWG, Impact Wrestling, ROH, NXT, and avoiding the WWE as much as humanly possible. But before we dive in, it's my obligation to remind you this is a podcast by the fans for the fans, bringing you all the news that is news from across the professional wrestling world. Find the entire HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com. My name is Shargo. I'll be your host for the day. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend. He's from the great state of YA. N-O, RBV. Rick, I told you so. It's me, it's me. It's that R of the beta. Y- you know what? I-, I can't even do this today. I woke up, got the news of this thing, sat down to watch it. Absolutely infuriated. I am beyond disgusted. You know, what we witnessed in Japan with this promotion, this country that you praise so much, absolutely worthless dead to me right now we should have finished them off with another set of bombs over there but i'm gonna drop them on them i'm gonna set them straight what we saw over there was just not a crime against professional wrestling but a crime against humanity itself if they would allow this to happen we're gonna get into this thing i'm gonna tell you exactly why this is wrong on so many levels and why you know what you want to get off people like you know the professor aoc for backing wwe they would never let something like this go down an absolute travesty in the world of professional wrestling and against humanity they, they should be 
They should be locked up against the, the Jiva Convention here, breaking all these international laws here. Absolutely disgusted. And then, you know, even further, this thing you said, we're not going to hardly talk any WWE. I was actually in the mood to talk some WWE today. So why don't you just go ahead and piss on my parade a little bit more. Well, the last thing on the run for today is WWE TV this week. As you can guess, here is your Monday Night Raw review. Nope, didn't watch that shit. How about SmackDown Live? Didn't watch that shit either. Rick, I read through those two shows, and I know what happened this week. There's not necessarily a whole lot to talk about, but thankfully, the pro wrestling gods have shined upon us and given us plenty of other great promotions to talk about this week. Um, Before we jump into the G1 Climax, as you heard there off the top, we have lost the immortal legend, the great Harley Race. God's gift, the toughest man walking God's green earth. The immortal Harley race has left us. Um, Rick, we had all kinds of fun stuff planned for the beginning of this show. This absolutely trumps everything. Um, I got to thinking in about the 15 minutes that I was awake that actually saw this. Um, When I think about, there's so much talk about the Rushmore of pro wrestling. And when I think about the Rushmore of pro wrestling, obviously you've got Flair on there. You've got Bruno on there. Harley Race has got to be number three, right? Well, I, I don't like to play the Rushmore game because everyone associates that with like greatest or something like that. So I, I'm usually I'm usually that guy that when this conversation comes up, I have to go remind everyone. Those individuals were actually selected for different purposes. So we actually apply that. You're changing the rules of that game. But that's not going to take away from anything that I have to say about Harley Race and the great memories that I have of such a, a – an absolute legend and maybe, you know, someone that was in that transition stage between professional, like a true old school professional wrestler. I mean, tough as nails, you know, salt of the earth. It was just going to go out there, do everything. But in, in, in that same sense, you know, he was a, such a tremendous showman. It, it could take on any kind of role. And he was going to captivate individuals. He was going to bring you to the edge of the seat, make you jump out of that thing. And, and you know, onto your feet through the ceiling. That's what he was about. And he did it everywhere he went. He he was just such a master of the craft. Harley Race, truly one of, you know, the absolute elite in professional wrestling history. But as I was saying here, he was in that transition, you know, from professional wrestling to sports entertainment. And sometimes, unfortunately, someone like that, that kind of transcends both those that was there to lead the trailblazer in that transition is going to get lost a little bit. Harley Race strikes me as the kind of individual that if you would have walked up to him and said, Mr. Race, I think you were a great sports entertainer. He probably would have hit you right square in the middle of the goddamn mouth. I think, you know, he probably would have done that in public to protect the image and all that. But on the same sense of that, I think, you know, when he was when he was put into that role, he sure as hell, man, he, he knew it's business and he knew where to go get his checks and get his money. And at the end of the day, he might not have been the happiest with it, uh, but he knew how to perform there. But he was going to protect himself. And, and he at true at heart. He was a professional professional wrestler, but he understood how important it was to also be entertaining. And, and I really believe that is a lost art, especially that we see, you know, in this age and over the last, you know, the, the last 20 years. I guess my question is to, to bring this back to the Rushmore thing. And I understand that you just, you don't like the Rushmore thing. I'm not a big fan either. Um, 
but you know, we celebrate Ric Flair so much. We celebrate Dusty Rhodes now so much. Hulk Hogan is still celebrated for unknown reasons to me. Why is Harley Race kind of that guy on the back burner that we don't talk about nearly as much as some of these other icons? Even Bruno, we talk about more than we talk about Harley Race. Well, I think, you know, with Bruno especially, to you know, the victors are going to write the history. And that begins with WWE has been, has outlasted everyone else. So they are rewriting these, these history books for us. So, of course, you're going to see their modern era individuals that they have actually, you know, within you know, the WrestleMania era who have been you know, highly present, have worked those big profile matches. They're, they're, going to see, they're going to see the highlights. They're the ones that they're going to paint that, that truly tremendous picture of. And even with Bruno, you know, because there's so much history under their championship. That's not so much the case with a Harley race. And, and, you know, and in another point there. To speak of how good he was, it, it goes to any profession. You know, a, a lot of people that get a lot of the accolades or that get a lot of the attention is because maybe they're not doing everything right or they're acting they're acting a fool. But when you're so good at what you do, and it you know it just comes to you naturally, sometimes people don't notice it because it just flows so smoothly. I thought one of the things that was interesting as we were talking before we went on air is we kind of remember Harley Race from different places. When, when we bring up the Harley Race name, you immediately go to NWA. My brain immediately goes to the AWA. I think that's just kind of a testament to how great Harley Race really was. Oh, absolutely. You know, in any territory he was working, I mean, he, he was a draw. Main event material, anywhere he was going. And, and then as we were talking off air, you know, our conversation kind of went to where we think the majority of individuals are going to remember him because they're the biggest company in the world. And it's WWE. And even his time there was a testament to how great he was. You know, that they, they place him kind of in that mid-card. They give him, uh, obviously, what they kind of felt, you know, bestowed on him, something of still uh, elite standard. We're going to call him the king. Uh, but, you know, and he'll every now and then, you know, he'll pop up to challenge, you know, a, a Hogan or something like that. But, you know, didn't get that serious run, but he still, he still perfected that, that role that he was in there. And it, even in, and that was kind of when he's winding down on the back end of things. We talked about the ultimate professional. He made stars as he went out. I, I really remember, you know, if we're talking just WWE, and that's a great part of our youth there, is that he, to me, he made Haku. Yeah. You know, in that in that bit of that passing, and and he was early on that lineage, a complete joke. I mean, he it was he made it prestigious to wear the crown inside WWE. One thing that Harley Race also did is he made you believe it. Like if it, there wasn't going to be a wrestling match when Harley Race went and got into the ring, you knew there was going to be a fight. Harley Race just absolutely sold the fact that you're going to have a fight tonight. Man, this one sucks, well, it, man. It, it, you know, you know, also as well, you know, let's, you know, you know, we're talking about just inside of his career, his personal in-ring career. You know, post that, he gave so much back to training, you know, to training and teaching and, and trying to groom a next generation to take individuals that had the commitment and the passion and the desire to make sure that they knew how to handle themselves within the business and handle themselves properly. This guy ultimately is in every sense, you know, an absolute true legend and, and cherished treasure within professional wrestling that needs to be celebrated. And this is something that you know, I fear 
as you were saying, you know, sometimes he gets lost in that shuffle because, you know, at t- at times he might not appear that he had the flashiest of, you know, move sets or, you know, even for his time or personalities, but he was so good and smooth that sometimes you didn't notice that. And he had such a de- that definitive look, man, a white guy with a fro rocking the Lemmy beard. It's just absolutely fantastic. Rest in peace to a true legend. The God damn, the God's toughest guy walking God's green earth, the immortal Harley race. Well, Huckleberry, let's uh, let's go ahead. We'll jump into the, the meat and potatoes of the show. Got a little bit of theme music for the G1 Climax today. That's right. It's the Yano State Suckeyes fight song. Huckleberry, the shit hit the fan this morning in Fukuoka. No Jericho this time in Fukuoka, but quite possibly one of the greatest injustices to the great state of Ohio. If only somebody had seen this coming weeks ago when these blocks were announced as Toru Yano takes down John Moxley this morning. And the thing that just cracks me up is people seem surprised by this. This is, as I said, this is, this is hot garbage. This is BS. This is, you want to talk about, you every week in and out, you want to bash WWE booking creative. I mean, this is bottom dwelling garbage that we are getting from New Japan. An absolute travesty against humanity that you're going to take someone of the caliber of a John Moxley and have him drop a match to this. I don't you know, what do you, how do you even describe this human piece of excrement, Yano? Human piece book- of excrement is actually pretty right good. With this. Now, I knocked my fucking headset out. <laughs> knocked my headset out here. See, I, I, I am so, so upset over this. You know, first of all, you know, to get, get the day going, I wake up bright and early. I'm ready for this thing. I, I fire it up. But I'm already going at a, with a, a, a little upset because, you know, I had to come back up north. I'm up here on Lake Erie today, but down in Cincinnati, I had to miss great friends of WWE, Florida Georgia Line. They're performing live down there at the Great uh, River Bend. Uh, they've also got Get a Fest going on, which is one of God's greatest creations to food. And our and our beloved and ultimate leader, Donald Trump, has got a rally going on in Cincinnati. I'm missing all of that. And then I got to wake up to this absolute BS coming to me from Japan. I, I am hot, man. I, I want to tell everyone out there how bad this is. I mean, Yano going over Moxley. I just say no Dean Ambrose. He's going over Moxley. I mean, this is this is the equivalent of some J.O. putting A1 on his steak. That's an absolute insult to the chef. I mean, this it's not even that bad. This is this is like these hipster doofuses putting pineapple on pizza. I mean, it's right up there. It's, it's right up that alley. But it even goes further than that. This is like some Mark Tard put in mustard on pancakes. It's absolutely disgusting what we saw happen at the G1. Wait, do, do people actually do that? Mustard on pancakes? Probably over in Japan, because that's the only place that you're going to get this bullshit. So Yano actually ties up Moxley, tapes him up to Shota Umino, and Moxley can't make his way back to the ring Gets counted out. Toru Yano plus two points. Moxley suffers his first defeat 
in New Japan Pro Wrestling and surely not his last. The other results from this morning, Jeff Cobb defeats Shingo Takagi, Tetsuya Naito goes over Juice Robinson, Switchblade Jay White over Taichi, and then in your main event, you know, and when I looked at all these shows, I thought this is the one show where the main event is just a little disappointing to me. Hiroki Goto versus Tomohiro Ishii as your main event just didn't do it for me. But boy, did this match do it for me. These two guys go out there, beat the ever-loving piss out of one another. Hiroki Goto getting the big win. So now inside of the B block, we have Moxley at 10 points. Still two matches up on everybody. Tomohiro Ishii, Juice Robinson, Toru Yano, Tetsuya Naito, Jeff Cobb, Switchblade Jay White, and Hiroki Goto all at six points. And then still in the tournament, bringing up the rear, Taichi and Shingo Takagi with four points. Rick, this B block is still wide open with three matches left to go. I don't even give a shit. I turned it off. Turned it off immediately following Moxley Yano. And, you know, it just occurred to me why you're so big on this thing. And you're starting, you're starting to flop yourself. You're starting to flip. I see this turn that you're making here for Yano. You're overly excited because he took down somebody from the great state of Ohio. This reminds me of, and it's pretty much just you. It's just you acknowledging that Moxley is the greatest in his game right now, just like the Ohio State Buckeyes in college football. And this was just this was just bad scheduling. This was a snafu late in the season, late in this run, where he ran into someone like Yano, who's the equivalent of those bums, the Iowa Hawkeyes, your team. And you're trying to still live off the glory from a couple of years ago where you were lucky enough to pick us off and keep us out of the championship run. You're still trying to live off that Michael Jarko suit. You need to wake up. Get with, get with reality, get with the modern times, and stop trying to live through your new best friend, Yano, and those hot guys that have never done anything except for beat the you – guys, you guys probably had a parade and have a trophy in your case. The only trophy there is when you upset the Buckeyes to ruin their national championship hopes. Hawkeyes suck, Yano sucks, but you know, every once in a while, they pull out a big one. Uh, I'll tell you from someone else from Iowa that never pulls out a big one, and that's Seth Rollins. Well played. Uh, so looking at the A block, Kazushika Okada at 12 points, Kenta at 8, Ibushi at 8, Tanahashi at 8, Evil at 6. Officially eliminated at this point from the tournament, Lance Archer, Will Ospreay, Sonata, and Zack Sabre Jr. at 4, Bad Luck Fale at 2. So, Rick, now that Moxley has suffered his first defeat, the only man that is still unbeaten inside of the G1 Climax is the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada. At no point throughout this tournament have I ever thought that Moxley stood a chance of winning this tournament or that Okada stands a chance of winning this tournament. Between these two guys, if one of them's going to win, which one are you going with, Moxley or Okada? Well, you know, it's it, to me what really actually stands out here. I, just think it, I think it'd just be the interesting dynamic to see the champ win this thing and to see how this thing folds out. You know, who would he select for that opportunity? I mean, is it, when he makes his choice, is it someone that has had to participate inside no, of? Okay, so it could be anyone. So, I mean, this opens up a wide field that's going to keep interest and intrigue on New Japan. You know, follow throughout the rest of this year here. I think at this point here, you know, we continually talk about, you know, the name that could show up that teased he wanted a shot at this because he wants a shot at that championship. I mean, could Jericho have some kind of influence here? And then 
And then could he move on? Could that be the choice of Okada? Does Okada want to say, you know, does he want to, with his new seemingly buddy, want to go make history with, with the ace? Does, does he have unfinished business with Jay White? You know, what direction could he go in? There's a million of directions. And I, I've thought about the Jericho thing. And I thought Jericho versus Okada, like we already saw that match. It seems like if we're going to get another Jericho match, especially at Wrestle Kingdom, that it would be against Hiroshi Tanahashi, not Kazuchika Okada to me. So I got to thinking and I was like, okay, so who else? Who else would Okada feel like? I still have unfinished business with this guy. This is who I'm calling out at the end of the G1 Climax. What if it's Kenny Omega? We know that Kenny still has it in his contract. He can work New Japan. He's obviously not working the G1. We have seen no appearances from Omega throughout this tournament. What if at the end of the G1, they ask Okada, who do you want to face at Wrestle Kingdom? And he lets out with that, Kenny Omega! I mean, could it be, you know, I, I love, I love the suggestion there of Omega. I mean, and you're getting, you're getting all this crossover on through the roof. If you're New Japan, you know, no matter who this is, maybe you go with the champ and you draw this thing out to like a month ahead of time. Because obviously we're, we're hearing all these rumors and SummerSlam seems to be very telling. I mean, what about Finn Balor? What about Prince Devin? Yeah. yeah. I mean, how insane would that be? That would to be re- you know, the, the return bout for the IWGP Championship, arguably why he left, you know, come back, make his first match a return at Wrestle Kingdom at the Dome for the exact reason he left. I mean, how huge would that be? Now, my problem with all of these matches, whether it be Jericho or Omega or Prince Devitt, kind of on down the line, though, Okada wins. Like, I I don't feel like there's any kind of drama going into Wrestle Kingdom. Like, they're not going to put the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship on Chris Jericho or Kenny Omega or Prince Devitt at this point. Like, yeah, it would be a big match. Yeah, it's going to draw eyes. But I feel like the conclusion is just already done. I wonder if that plays into why they decided to go with a two-night spectacle. You know, maybe one night is really that that edge of the seat, more driven towards, you know, the true New Japan fan. You know, those that that have been along for the ride, uh, especially those that are the, the natives, if you will. And then that second one is really for that Western audience, because in either case, even if it's not really, I guess, very suspenseful and who might go over here, at least you're going to sell and draw eyes to that product. If you would go with someone like we suggested, like a Kenny Omega, a Jericho, or even, you know, if, if it's possible, if somehow it falls in their lap that they have Prince Devitt return. I mean, that's going to boom sales across the globe. And then maybe on that first night with the IC title is where you go with that classic new Japan style. I'm still leaning towards Ibushi and Naito as your final inside of the Budokan. Still think that's how this thing's going to play out, even though it's been a very, very long, twisted, and turny road to get there. I, I just, I mean, ultimately, when I'm looking at this thing as an over, as an overall marketer, and, I, and now I'm starting to like this, this two night system a little bit because I could see that being a great headliner. You know, like when we get at the finals here, Jim, between those two, we could somehow get there at Wrestle Kingdom night one, and then you use your grand spectacle on night two. Yeah, I can see that as well. I mean, it, it really reminds me of, you know, going back to, you know, like early WrestleMania days. I mean, you know, what 
back in a day, who would you know what would what would the hardcores be would be marking over? It would be Steamboat and Savage, which is your your intermission main event. And then you've got that big selling thing where you're just drawing a lot of people in the huge spectacle, you know, of of Hogan and Andre. It's a good point. So let's take a look at Saturday's matchups as we approach the end of the tournament here. Kent is going to take on Bad Luck Fale. Zack Sabre Jr. versus Lance Archer. Rick, I'm not big on the under ta- undercard tag matches, but this one was a lot of fun. So Lance Archer comes out, and he's got Kinamaru as his tag team partner. We know he's taking on Zack Sabre Jr. and Minoru Suzuki. It's going to be a clash of all of Suzuki Goon. Minoru Suzuki and Zack Sabre Jr. jump these guys on their way to the ring. That's right. Suzuki is so ruthless, he will even jump his own faction on the way to the ring. Just absolutely great stuff out of those four this morning. Well, Osprey. What what I really like there with Suzuki, I'm sorry. Sorry to cut you off there, George. What I really like with Suzuki here is I really feel there's something even greater. I mean, he's already the most wicked SOB inside the promotion. But I feel like there's something eating, really eating at him, truly. And it's, you know, obviously because he's missed this G1. I, if we were talking about what is this twist, we, we thought maybe he would be substituted in. Obviously, that didn't happen. So even that's going to fuel that fire. I mean, it's going to anger that dog a little bit more. I'm very interested to see, you know, what we get from Suzuki heading in, you know, throughout the rest of this calendar year. If Okada wins the G1, is Suzuki one of those names that we need to be talking about? Again, I, I I love I love Suzuki and all that, but even inside the New Japan dynamic, I mean, is that a big enough draw for the dome? It was a big enough draw for Suzuki's 30th anniversary match. I, I understand you got that specialty there. I mean, those guys went to absolute hell. I mean, that's just still that is a little bit different than going in and main eventing at the dome. Well, Osprey is going to tangle with Evil. Tanahashi takes on Ibushi in the battle of uh, "You're a little bitch." That's that's pretty much how Tanahashi feels about Kota Ibushi. And then in your main event, it's going to be Kazuchika Okada losing to Sonata. Finally, Sonata is going to get one up on the Rainmaker. That's absolutely what I am expecting in your main event on Saturday night. Uh, it'll be interesting how this thing plays out again. I, I'm, I'm riding the champ, man. I think he might pull this thing off, run this gauntlet here. As I look at this thing, what's more intriguing is going to be, you know, stretching out, drawing out, you know, who is going to be go going to Wrestle Kingdom. And especially, you know, in this, we have to look again, you know, marketing wise, there's a different dynamic here this year with this. And of course, you know, they always, you know, you're eyeing what's going on with like WWE, but this this dance card, this playing field, you know, it's so cutthroat right now, and you don't want to show everything so early. You want to keep the you want to keep your eyes on on everything that's going new Japan, especially now. I mean, you're going to run into this hotbed of you know people really popping up, getting behind AEW. MLW is making great moves now. They got some partnerships that they're going to actually become present in your own backyard. You have to wonder if your own partner here, Ring of Honor, what the hell is going on with them? If you're New Japan, you really got to be keeping stuff tight to yourself and watching your own back at this point. And as we always put over, this second-tier dance card, that floor is getting very crowded. It's going to be very interesting who can survive this cha-cha. Okay, well, as a marketing guy, 
All right. Right now, as things stand, Kazuchika Okada is two matches up on everybody inside of the A block with three matches to go. You have the main event of night one of the Budokan is already booked. Kazuchika Okada taking on Kota Ibushi. If Okada wins one more match before that match, that match is completely irrelevant. Do you really think that Okada is going to go through the G1 unbeaten and ruin that main event the first night inside of the Budokan? Or is Sonata going to finally get Okada and still have a little bit of drama going into this thing? Because Ibushi versus Okada, there's no way that you're just giving that match away with absolutely no kind of ramifications around it. Well, no, I, I don't think you you still have built in anyone that beats him is going to get an opportunity. So there still is some intrigue there. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like if, if the A block is on the line going into that match, that feels much bigger than Okada just let Ibushi beat him because the match isn't really that important to him anyway, because he's already won the block. Well, no, I, I think, you no, know, at that point, I mean, he's still he's looking to chase something. How many people have run through this thing undefeated? And how many times has the champ done it? You know, this is going to be something special that you don't regularly see. I know you don't have the stats off the top of your head, but I'm willing to bet anything. It doesn't happen very often. In, in, I want to say in, 1999. Okay. I mean, how long ago is that? And then you have a chance that wins this thing. He's going to double dip that thing. He's going to make history here. And you can have that be ruined in any case. It's more about can Okada do this? Is he going to defeat? Who would he choose then? And then if he does happen to lose one of these things, even if he has something clinched, even if he has the thing clinched, he still has to give up title opportunities, which kind of more so, it, it makes it more important in that last match. If you know you don't have an opportunity, you're not going to lay down as as the challenger there because that's your last opportunity to try to get something out of this tournament to, to earn yourself a championship match. I think if I'm Okada and that's the situation, I'm going finger poke a doom with Ibushi. Like, just hit me once, I'm going to fall over, pin me, because I don't care, I'll fight you later, and uh, I'm going to save my energy for tomorrow night when I have to wrestle Tetsuya Naito or Switchblade Jay White. I think, you know, it's, it, he's not that kind of champ. He, no, he's got pride, he's a competitor. Yeah, he's going to go he's out stupid. there and prove something. You know, know, it's, it's the same thing, you know, if if you're sitting in the NFL and you're sitting at 14, 15, and 0, you want to try to grab. I mean, obviously, you're going to watch for injury there because it is a bit of a different dynamic. But you want to try to make that history to you know to complete that regular season sweep and then continue that into the playoffs and and hopefully go capture a Super Bowl. That's what that's how you present this thing with Okada. And then anyone chasing him at this point, it's kind of this is a do or die. If you could not, if you can get him in this thing, he's already eliminated you. So this is your this is your last chance to earn a championship opportunity. Let's talk about Huckleberry's redemption going down on Sunday as one of his favorite wrestlers on the face of the planet, Tomohiro Ishii, is going to murder Toru Yano to kick off B-Block action on Sunday. Rick, I'm sure that you're looking forward to that matchup at this point. But I, I don't even care. <laughs> Juice Robinson's going to take on Tai Chi. Hiroki Goto is going to tangle with Jeff Cobb. And then we have the two big ones. First off, we have John Moxley going to lose his second match in New Japan Pro Wrestling to the Switchblade, Jay White. And then we have the Battle of LIJ as Tetsuya Naito is going to put down Shingo Takagi. I'm looking forward to both of these matches incredibly Sunday from Osaka. 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it's going to be it's going to be a great night or a great morning of, of action here. And as you said, you know, I mean, there's so many directions they could go in. Uh, both of these blocks are heating up. I mean, the heat is on right now. Moxley and White and Shingo versus Naito. Those are two big matches. Looking forward to Sunday. Uh, Rick, one more piece of New Japan business before we move on here. Super J-Cup participants. We're announcing who's going to be in the Super J-Cup coming up at the end of August on the West Coast. So far, we have kind of two schools going on here. First, we have the New Japan school. We have Ryusuke Taguchi, who we only take serious in Super Junior tournaments. Taiji Ishimori, as well as Sho from Rapungi 3K. No Yo, which is a little bit odd to me. And then we have a bit of Western influence kind of creeping into this thing. Caristico, otherwise Sin Cara, is going to be in this thing. TJ Perkins, who was signed with Impact Wrestling, whatever the hell that means. And Dragon Lee, of course, Dragon Lee, a former IWGP Junior Heavyweight Champion. So that one actually checks out. That one makes sense. What do you think about Caristico and TJP being added to this thing? Hey, again, you know, this comes down to... It's, this is this is essentially one of the, one of the only times a year that we really get any kind of emphasis put on the juniors. So you're going to want to load up this Super J Cup. You're going to bring in that international flavor. This is all about the expansion, the global expansion, trying to bring in some different markets here. And hopefully some names that are going to be familiar, some exciting different talents are going to be added to this tournament. Uh, hopefully we get some we get some great chemistry through some different styles as much as your styles can differ a little bit inside of, of the junior division. Uh, but yeah, I think that's the entire point here is just to kind of broaden his horizons. Really hoping at the G1 final, we get a Hiromu Takahashi come out, declare himself eligible for the Super J Cup. He defeats Dragon Lee in the final and challenges Will Ospreay at Wrestle Kingdom for Mr. Belt. That's really what I'm hoping for. But they said Hiromu was going to be due back at the end of the summer. It doesn't seem like it's that far of a stretch for me. So let's go ahead. Let's flip the script. Let's jump over to AEW. Rick, uh, we're, we're getting closer to All Out in the one-year anniversary of All In up in Chicago. Um, we, we saw this road to All Out, and this only ran about six minutes. And boy, did they pack a lot of information into the six minutes when it comes to character development for Sean Spears as well as Cody Rhodes and even MJF. This might be my favorite contract signing that I've ever seen in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it was so outside of the realm of what we're used to. And, it, and that's what AEW has presented themselves. It's, it's about reimagining how we're building towards these programs. And if you go back to something that we talked about in the Monday locker room, where you were kind of comparing the, the cinematic scenes mm-hmm. you know, that, that we're seeing on the road to in, in being the elite. And you compared that more to, as we see from dramas, and how drama umbrella. And if we can move towards that direction and, and more credits, I don't think it needs to go to that extreme. I think you can have the world of professional wrestling, but you absolutely, you absolutely need more of what we're getting. This dynamic from the social media, you know, excerpts or you know 
builds from AEW. I mean, this is what the program should be in itself. This keeps town apart until big matches. We're not seeing them in you know what we see the complaints with you know rinse and repeat Rollins, where it's every week the same match. If you gave me something like this throughout a show a couple of times with different major programs for the big events, and then you worked in these lesser-known talents that are going to go out there and try to establish themselves, and then every now and then have that big wow moment where you do have you know your your top stars. That works for a program for me. That gets people hooked. I mean, this was more intriguing outside of most WWE that we've seen in the last decade. Yeah, I I completely agree. I even like that they actually introduced the AEW lawyer and they told you who she was and actually sat down and even introduced her a little bit. And I believe she actually is the AEW lawyer. I don't think that's just a a role that she's playing for the TV. And I like it as well, too. It's just not the AEW. They give you her background. Ten years legal. She is the head. She's heading up a department with the Jacksonville Jaguars. We know the connection so we we can easily assume this is legit position. And within 30 seconds, they establish her as an individual and then her persona within what we're supposed to be watching there. You can buy what she is, what she is selling to you there. What we're so used to seeing from other promotions, we don't even know who that individual is. They're just dressed up in a, you know, like a lawyer. But we're actually getting we're actually getting sit down with, with these actual management types, you know, and how and they're letting you know this is stressful. You know, we've never seen anything like this, this is on the edge of our seat. And then you're blending in there. You're absolutely blending in. I mean, you got you got the vibe of something from a Rocky movie, and you got the vibe of what made you know what made Dusty you know Dusty so great. Mm-hmm. The All American guy out there, the training, the working. He's in the street. He's at the high school gymnasium. You know, he's out running around the neighborhood with his dog. He's he's every man. You know, he's the son of a plumber. He's every man. And then you got. Then you got Spears riding with the horsemen. And how do we always hear about how they actually rolled limousines? You know, they're doing first class. You're getting that from Spears. He it totally is elevating him, is taking him to that next level. Six, six minutes, 24 seconds did more for this match than damn near anything that we're getting ready for on SummerSlam. And that's the, and that's the top dog who we're supposed to be chasing and absolutely blew them out of the water. So I got to thinking about this last night and how in the world you could actually have this be the meat and potatoes of the show on TNT last night while still doing live wrestling inside of a live environment, because that actually becomes the problem, right? So this is how I think I would do this, Rick. Like, so let's say that you're going to an AEW show live, right? On a Wednesday night, eight to 10 Eastern standard time, let's say they're in the great state of Yano. And rather than just saying, hey guys, why don't you sit and watch this six minute video package on a screen? What if they just ran dark matches during that time? So the TV audience is seeing this video package while you're seeing, you know, Sammy Guarva versus Hangman Page for six minutes in a live setting. Could you get away with doing something like that? I would worry then... What's really the, the big incentive to go to this thing if you're going to, I mean, two part for an audience member, what's the incentive if you're going to be missing a lot of the meat and potatoes on television? You're at the live wrestling show. Okay. Then why then? All right. So uh, from AEW standpoint, it's much cheaper to run pre-tape. So, I mean, why do you have to be, I mean, just because I'm seeing just because you might get something that's somewhat unique for six minutes 
while they run a vignette and use commercial as entrance time. I mean, that's not enough of a hook for me. And, and if you're AEW, if you're going to do something like that, why waste the extra money on live when you could just do pre-tape and later filter in these promos? Like you see, like you see something that's so brilliantly done by NXT. I think that you just answered your own question because how many people just read the NXT spoilers and then don't bother to watch the TV show? Then that's on their own ignorance because and you have to sell that too. It, the television is must see. You can go to an NXT taping and you're not going to get the entire gist of what's happening there, what's unfolding for the next takeover because they're running backstage. You're not going to break it. I, I would, I would worry too that, Outside of the, they're going to realize these short matches where TV breaks are, and you're and you're really going to numb the audience. You know about ups, you know highs and lows. You're going to make it too much of a roller coaster for them. I think you could actually get away with running a two-hour show, and you run like let's say three matches live on TNT from wherever the show is, and then the rest of the show is all this pre-tape, cinematically shot stuff. Maybe you get an an in-ring promo, maybe two, three matches. And then you still get the live experience of going to a wrestling show. Let's say maybe you end up with six matches if you're actually at the show. Well, you know, we always say, you know, one thing that we love about this is we're thinking things, you know, to ourselves. And then we like to talk it out. And things come to mind when we're having a conversation here. At AEW is cutting edge. You're trying to reinvent some things here. And they've already come out and said when they get to television, they want to start running these smaller, more intimate arenas. I think these vignettes, you know, on a screen where you make it more like a stage show, you know, not like a TV stage, but more like, you know, true theater, you know, Shakespearean wrestling, if you will. I mean, have this renaissance. I think that would work with these when you when you're sitting in an audience watching these promos on a screen or, you know, something along those lines. You know, and maybe maybe it's you get away from that traditional. Okay, everyone has to look over the entrance ramp to get the screen. And what maybe you have different things, you know, positioned throughout the arena so that everyone does get a good view. And you got that smaller arena with some great acoustics, so it's not so difficult to hear. And that's completely different than what you get with WWE. It's like you know, going back to Raw a couple months ago when they're introducing the Firefly Funhouse. People were saying, why aren't they reacting in the arenas? It's because the way those are positioned and those are such big arenas, it's hard for the, that that live audience to really understand what's going on. The acoustics are terrible. Sometimes the visuals really aren't there for you. So if AEW can get in that more intimate setting, which I've always been a big proponent for. I, I love, you know, even going back to the Attitude Era, the smaller Raws, you know, a little bit edgier cut to the production, ECW. To me, that, it gives you that rough edge that is professional wrestling. And what that will also allow to you as well, without overproducing it, you can almost make the in-ring look cinematic just like you are your promos. I think the other thing that we have to talk to about the road to All Out was MJF. The thing opens up with an MJF promo, and MJF is just burying the ever-loving hell out of Sean Spears and talking about his best friend, Cody Rhodes, and how close he and Cody are. And if you notice, uh, one of the nicest touches that I thought was done to this whole thing MJF is wearing Cody's trademark suit, that blue suit. MJF is wearing it. And, you know, the jacket was just a little too tight for him. Had to open it up there. I thought that was the nicest touch in this entire thing. Rick, I'm, I'm getting closer and closer into buying into this thing. MJF and Sean Spears are in on this thing together. And it's just a matter of time until MJF turns on Cody. I guess the question is, 
can a heel turn more heel? Well, you know, that's what it is. It, it's, that, it's that seemingly bait and switch where he never really left that alliance. Uh, and really how, you know, how he's approaching Cody, it really reminds me of, you know, going back to high school football or any kind of high school sport, but you've seen this before, like the sophomore hanging out with the seniors. Oh, yeah. Trying to get that rub a little bit, but man, you're waiting, you're biting at, you're biting at that chance, you know, you're waiting. Waiting to chop in and grab that position. Take him down any way you damn can because you want that playing time. Absolutely, that is what you're getting here with with MJF. You know, ring in the rev. You know, it, it, they're setting it up here perfectly. Yeah, it's it's freaking great, and that was a killer promo from MJF. Let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Wednesday Night Dynamite. Yeah, I really love it. One point two. I want a full turn. Uh, I want the mascot of the Rev, which is our Fort Horseman esque group. Uh, I want the dog to turn on Cody. You know what I think really needs to happen is like Sean Spears is beating the ever loving piss out of Cody and he's just about ready to take him out with a chair again. And MJF comes running out to make the save and he grabs the chair from Sean Spears and then just lights Cody's ass up. I mean, like that, that's you got to get the the fake baby face turn from MJF and then he just goes even more heel. Oh, absolutely. I mean, you got to. I think, you know, they're all so good when it comes to their personas and this storytelling. I could see them, you know, that ring getting just trashed. Oh, yeah. I believe these guys are this good. And MJF is the perfect guy to do it. I love especially, you know, the repeated chair. Well, and I love the repeated chair shot that they went to. And one thing that really set me off there, you go back and watch that, is, and you talk about how everybody has a part to play in, in this great dance of professional wrestling. Go back and look at the referee's face. She is selling that thing. Like you would not believe. I mean, it was the most shocking thing in the world to her. And they repeatedly go to this thing and, and they're playing in here that MJF, their best friends, you know, it, it, he's not Brown nosing, but man, he's feeling a little tight. Like, you know, he's a little too big for the suit. I especially liked in their tally, you know, how they're this. But once you guys read over the contract, you get one person in ears. He gets one in his. I love how they hammered that home. They're, they're really hanging that out there. You know, that who is that going to be? And they showed that image of going one year ago, how Cody had that whole army with him. Mm-hmm. But now he gets one. Who is he going to be able to trust there? And I love you, you. You kind of, you plant those seeds of doubt. You get one, Cody. Can you trust that son of a bitch? It's going to be great to watch, man. I'm, I'm Like you said, in six minutes, did more for that match than what five hours of WWE TV did for SummerSlam. What, what would you do? What would you say? Uh, it, the, the, the representative up in the corner, obviously, he's going to ask for the position. It'd be a little too obvious if it's MJF, wouldn't it? Oh, yeah. That would be entirely too obvious. And I don't think it can be Dustin either. Like, I, I know Dustin's going to be the popular pick that, you know, you, you can't trust anybody like you can trust your own brother. But I, I, I feel like this has got to be somebody from the outside. Uh, and I think, you know, just for that pop, too, but I think you could actually add another dynamic here. I know she's kind of off doing her own thing, but look at the influence and, you know, the role she played one year ago in his corner is Brandy. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's going to she's probably going to ask to be in that spot for her husband and say, hey, I, you know, one year ago, you made history become the NWA world champion. You, you captured a dream. There's something that your father had. You created a moment that's going to live in professional wrestling history for the rest. You know, just not your life, but through, you know, through the through the decades, through the ages. 
And, you know, it probably for the safety and how violent this one's going to be, he's going to have to turn her down. So there might be some resentment. There could be a storyline twist. I, I do want to actually seeing what we've seen from Road 2 and something like this. And now the seemingly where Vince has taken a little bit of a cheap shot or not a cheap shot, but maybe a mention of AEW where he's talking about we're not going back to that gory BS or whatever, whatever he said, paraphrasing there. One of the highlights from this week's WWE, which I don't think it was all that bad. It was just they didn't really do anything. One of the absolute highlights was the Randy Orton promo. And it was done in this same setting here. You know, he's backstage. Randy's given a delivery like only he can. They link the past together. They've got all that great footage to remind you of the history between him and Kofi. And then Randy to even take credit for Kofi mania. You know, that he wouldn't even be here if he didn't put his boot to Ali's face. Kofi would never even have this chance. I think if we're looking at anything that WWE has done right on this build to SummerSlam, it's exactly that. And it looks like they just sampled a blueprint from what we're seeing from AEW. I also think that it's ironic that, you know, Vince talks about the blood and guts and everybody talks about that chair shot and the amount of blood that Cody had coming out of the back of his head. You'll notice in none of the video package shots, they're showing the chair shot. At no point are they showing the blood on the canvas from the back of Cody's head. And there, there was that great shot of the blonde hair just slowly becoming red as Cody was laying there on the canvas. They haven't used it once. They've shown a, a backstage shot of Cody getting stitched up, and that's it. Well, it goes back to you, you lived that once, and it was a wowing moment. But I think it... it, it it truly speaks volumes to the packages that we're seeing here where it's just the impact and then the stitches. You know, the illusion of violence is just as effective as the violence itself. And that's you go back to what I consider, you know, the truly classic horror films or, or you know, drama films of of theater, of Hollywood, that's what you get there. You don't need all this over the top blood, guts, and gore. As long as you can get that illusion, you can make people feel something truly feel it then you've succeeded and you're going to reach them and it's going to improve your product the original halloween with uh jamie lee curtis you never see michael myers kill anybody not once you see the knife come back you might see the result but you never actually see him kill anybody because the scene in your mind is much more gruesome than anything john carpenter could do on screen Let's talk about PWG. We don't get to do this one very often, Huckleberry, but it's the one time a year where PWG is more relevant than ever. BOLA is getting ready to kick off September 19th, 20th, and 22nd from the Globe Theater in Los Angeles. We have 17 names currently announced, and I got to be honest, a lot of these guys I've never even seen them work. I've heard names, but I've never seen them work. A-Kid, Jonathan Gresham, Artemis Spencer, Darby Allen, Mick Moretti, Orange Cassidy. Why he's in this tournament? I have no freaking idea. Bandito, Caveman Ugg, Jake Atlas, Tony Deppin, Ray Phoenix, Lucky Kid, Joey Janela, Brody King, Barbaro, Caverino, Trey Miguel, Jungle Boy, and Black Taurus. Rick there's people from all over the freaking world. We got ring of honor stars. We got AEW stars. We've got independent guys. We've got luchadors. We got orange Cassidy. This is going to be an awesome tournament. Bola never disappoints, but I got to say this lineup compared to the last couple, it just doesn't have that. Oh, factor to it. Well, I say it, it obviously doesn't have the pizzazz 
or the yeah. wow factor, if you will. But tremendous talents here. And what's so tremendous about when we get to you know, Pro Wrestling Grill, especially at the BOA, is the culture is the culture that they've grown. It's because this thing is such a unique, unique dynamic in itself. You know, it's not like these other things. Is we're just talking about, you know, why would you go to a live show if you're not going to see what's going on there? Because you can go read results, so and so. You know, with the problems facing NXT. I mean, sure, we're going to see results here, but they have created a culture where it's must see, and we're not going to get these leaks because it's one big family in there. They police themselves. It is. It is. You must be there. If you want to experience this thing at its ultimate high and everyone buys into this thing and sure, you know, a couple of weeks from now, they're going to release some DVDs, which helps drive the demand on them, which helps drive the promotion, does tremendous things for them. You don't hear. And that's one of the biggest problems facing, especially these in the, these independents. You know, we, we've dealt with this at battle on the border for us. Like it's, it's, we're sitting there, we're asking individuals don't release this information. And then even like they're going live right as there is it's happening. Like guys, you're supposed to be here to support this promotion, yet when you're doing this, you're taking from the pockets. You're taking from the pockets of the promoter, the staff, and especially the talent because you think – and sometimes when this happens, you think you're being an ultimate reporter. You're trying to get something over, but what you're doing is, is you're essentially you're bitch slapping the people you're there to support. And they have a culture within, within Gorilla where they police test themselves, and that's what made, made this thing so special and why people gravitate towards it. You know, I'm sure we'll talk about this more on HTM Sports on Tuesday, but you brought up a great point. And it's about this damn baseball fight that we saw the other night with the Cincinnati Reds and the Pittsburgh Pirates, right? And I've watched this footage many, many times as because I know we're going to end up talking about this. Hell, it's the Cincinnati Reds. Of course we're going to talk about this. Two things really stood out. Number one, Yasiel Puig doesn't play for either one of those teams anymore, which is just absolutely freaking hilarious to me. Number two, everybody had their cell phones out. Like everybody in the crowd, they're not watching it. They're not they're not cheering on the fight. They were all like, oh shit, I can go viral here. And they're all busting out their cell phones and trying to record this damn thing. You know what you're not gonna see from Bola? Video footage before the DVDs come out. Like they don't even have to tell people, please, you know, do not film, do not upload this to the internet. They don't even have to do that. Because the PWG audience knows the deal and they're there to enjoy the show, not watch the whole damn thing through their cell phone. Well, I'd even say, which goes further. I, I could see someone like, you know, at Bola or you know, somewhere like that where it is so intimate trying to sneak something like that. Oh, they'd, be, they'd be lynched. But, but, I, but I could see, you know, in, in that kind of setting. I know not there because they absolutely, they do police themselves. I mean, you'll, you'll be thrown out of those surf your ass right out. Security won't ever touch you. The fans will handle that themselves. But, you know, we're talking about something, you know, like, let's say Major League Baseball, the NFL. Uh, uh, here's what always kills me. You see people on their phones during an entire WWE pay-per-view. Like, you're some kind of inside expert that's giving us the scoop. There's cameras all over the arena. We just paid $9.99 to watch this on the network. Like, you're going to get a better visual or let me know what's going on more than what I can just see on my own screen? You know, get over yourself. Sit back and enjoy the moment. And that's where it's... And it, it's very true of professional wrestling, but it's all over the place. Sit back, enjoy the moment. I remember a couple of years ago, Tool got all kinds of shit for that because they basically said, if we see you on your cell phone, you're getting thrown out of the concert. Like Maynard just straight up told their audience, if we see you on a cell phone, we're throwing your ass out. And security was instructed to do so. 
I, I thought about it too with that Reds fight. I, I've seen all these people that I know because it was, was so interesting because, you know, you, you had the, the big trade from the Reds. And we're going to talk about this on hashtag HCM Sports. You had the big trade, then the big brawl. And, you know, where I, you know, I'm born and raised in Cincinnati. I live in Northern Ohio, tribe country. And to see the divide, you know, just with the trade. But then to see, you know, how many of my friends, you know, on my feet that are Reds fans are, are streaming this thing from the game. It's like, give me, there's cameras all over that stadium. Fox News is covering this thing. I, I don't need you to, you know, try to be, you know, breaking news for me. Get over yourself. Go get another beer, you fat loser. Start down another Cincinnati Skyline hot dog and enjoy yourself. I don't think it's going to be happen, but you know what would be absolutely hilarious is if the Cleveland Indians said, nope, the trade's off. We don't want Yasiel Puig anymore because he's going to be suspended for two goddamn weeks. He ain't going to get that bad. I don't know, man. He was pretty fired up. <laughs> he was all right. Hey, I, you know what? I loved you know what he said. He said he was a red until the game was over and you stick up for your teammates. He said trades happen in baseball. Uh, it's a part of what happens there. But hey. They were, they were, they were like, you want a tag team? You want somebody to go challenge for either <laughs> any? Hey, it, and it's in my dream match. The Cincinnati Reds versus the Briscoes. MLB versus the Briscoes. My money's on the Briscoes. We're going to talk about the Briscoes here in I don't know, dude. minutes. I don't know right now. Well, my money's certainly not on the Pittsburgh Pirates. Jesus Christ. They got, their whole team got beat up by one Cincinnati goddamn pitcher. It was hilarious. Let's talk about Impact Wrestling uh, because, Rick, I don't know what this means, okay? Impact Wrestling has announced the signings of Rhino and Tennille Dashwood. Uh, the Tennille Dashwood one really kind of surprises me, and there's a couple of different subtopics off of this, but, Rick, in 2019... What does it mean to be signed to Impact Wrestling? Like, I, I don't know. What are they signing them to? Well, obviously, you know, with the Rhino, he's got some friends there. They're going to work into some kind of angle. Uh, they, they are playing, still continue off of some of that, you know, that ECW nostalgia. I think what it means, you know, it, it really is. It, you're looking at, in this case, some talents. You know, we're not talking about the smoke shows, the killer crosses that, that absolutely are looking to make, you know, continue this as a career to sustain them. You know, that, that is their livelihood. You're talking about some individuals that have been there that have seen big paydays. What this does is I'm sure they've gotten great. They've, they've gotten some impact wise, great deals. You got very limited dates. It's still going to keep you on television so that you can continue to drive up your indie price. I, I guess that's what it's got to be. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm just, I don't see, I don't know what that means. Like they, they've signed the impact wrestling. Okay, so they're gonna work like twenty days this year, like yeah, yeah, and and you get that. So then you're doing whatever you want, else you want to do, and and also what that does, you're still on, you're still on television, you're still with a perceived major kind promotion. Of. You're kind of yeah. on television. Well, you're still with a perceived major promotion, so you're still going to go get that higher price when you're talking to these indies and these conventions like that. And a lot of this, like I just said, you know, it has to do with the tie-ins. You got some Rhino's old buddies there. He's in with that management. You got to believe that Madison Rain had a, a, a tremendous influence on getting uh, to Neil to head over there. Eh. I, I don't know if anybody else would take her. 
Well, what it, what it does at this point, I mean, what does it hurt if they got a fair deal on her right now? You, you do have a stacked division, but you want to have some competitiveness in there, some name value to help grow some of these younger talents. She fits into that perfectly. It's a win-win. Everything's a two-way street here. It's a business. And it's Neil can still say, hey, I'm still with one of the major companies as she goes and takes these other bookings or even modeling things outside of wrestling. It's going to help drive up her booking fee. I'm more speaking to the point that I don't think any other major promotion would sign her. New Japan doesn't do women's wrestling. MLW doesn't really do women's wrestling. She's already been at Ring of Honor. She's already been at the WWE. And everybody's just like, oh, well, I thought she'd go to AEW. Who's to say AEW wanted her? I mean, let, let's 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 face reality. I loved Neil Dashwood. I think she's one of the best female wrestlers on the face of the planet. As long as you acknowledge the fact that she's going to be hurt nine of the 12 months of a year that you're going to have her. She can't stay healthy to save her damn life, whether it be her fault or, or just random acts of God. She cannot stay healthy no matter where she goes. If I'm AEW, I don't want to sign her for that. Like, go ahead and go sign with Impact Wrestling. Work a year on the independence. Show us you can stay healthy for a full year and then we'll talk. Well, again, going back to this, it's a two-way street. If you're Tino Dashwood, are you that interested in AEW of the money? I mean, if it's not a significant difference, are you more interested knowing that they're going to be going live weekly, that you're going to have these bigger shows here? Or if you're heard, you want to go to Impact, even if it is for a little bit less, you still keep the price up. You're only working 20 days. You talk about that injury. She's dealing with this terrible autoimmune disorder that's, you know, that breaks down her body. I understand why she goes through a lot of injuries here. She's putting herself through hell. And at times it's extremely difficult for her body to withstand it. But let's it, not, it, but let's not it, just assume that, you know, Tennille Dashwood has freaking companies bowing at her feet saying, oh, Tennille, please come here. Like Impact Wrestling might be legitimately the only offer she got. Well, that's absolutely fine. The way you broke it down, I, I obviously I believe that she could have gone and done tours in Japan with some of those women's promotions. Like you have to go to New Japan and be everything over there. There's tremendous women's wrestling. They got so many different things going on. It that look, her style would have been a, a tremendous drawer there. She's an exotic capture for them. You know, but if we're looking here, she doesn't have to travel all that much. Said so she's got 20 dates. If she didn't have any offers. That's completely understandable. If there was conversations elsewhere, she might have turned them down herself or they just decided they weren't a good fit for each other. This match with Impact with Impact Wrestling is perfect for her where she's at and you know what her body can hold up with. What do you what what do you think is the ceiling for Rhino? I mean, Dashwood knockouts champion easily. If she can stay healthy and she can work consistently, that's her ceiling. But I, what, what I is it for you know, Rhino? I, okay, as a ceiling, yeah, I, I don't think she's ever going. I don't think she's going to capture that, you know. Unless in, you know, they're at the point where they don't need to add something like that to the lineage that they had. A, you know, a former WWE star, former Women of Honor, whatever you want there. But I think it's you can mention that history of her while putting over that second tier. You know, your your Hogan's, your you know, of the your talents of that nature that are behind. Tessa and behind Jordan Grace. But yeah, but I think those are two money matches. I think you go with Dashwood versus Blanchard as fast as you possibly can. I think you go with with Grace versus Dashwood as fast as you possibly can. Then you can use her to put over people like Kiera Hogan, but make money with her as fast as you can. I, I agree with you 100% there. Get those money matches out of the way and then let her transition in. And again, we don't know the actual length of this thing. It might be a, it might be a year's deal. It might just be a couple of appearances just to have her come in and work those matches. It might be 25 hot dogs 
Well, it could have been. I don't think they got 25 hot dogs in that locker room. How big is their roster? It's a valid point. You know, but it could be something else. You, you, you got to believe the reason they put her with lifeblood in Ring of Honor was to try to get the most out of her before an injury occurred inside that ring. Maybe she gets partnered up with somebody else. You know, it, where it's where it's in maybe this, you know different next tag matches, or she's more of a support, and they're just bringing in that look. And when you let her personality shine, when you let her get out there and cut a pro around, she's pretty damn good. She was carrying that for for lifeblood. Yeah. So you know, maybe she goes into that position. Uh, with the case of Rhino, I think, you know, again, that's just nostalgia because they're riding that ECW train again. We're seeing so many of those guys kind of filtering through. And, and he's got such a wealth of knowledge. He can come in here and help so many so many of these talents. Uh, you know, right off the bat, you know, one match I think would pop a lot of people is Rhino and Elgin. You know, just those two cannonballs just slamming into each other. I don't think it has to be a prolonged program or anything like that. But I think it would be great for television. I'm not saying for like a marquee event. They don't have so many of them. But I think it would pop, you know, people for a main event or two on just a weekly programming. Do it at Bound for Glory. Do uh, Rhino versus Elgin at the same time you do Blanchard versus Cage. Yeah, if you need something to transition him out of there. You need something to hold over, you know. He's taking out of yeah, and Rhino could do that, especially with the way those two look. I mean, it's just like two cannonballs, you know, just lined up square, you know, shot square at each other. Were you a Rhino guy back in the day? Rhino was one of those guys I always, you knew his worth and he knew he was tremendous, but it just never really screamed. Upper mid card like that. Yeah, it, that's yeah. It, what it, it always just, screamed. It just didn't scream champion, you know, main event to me. And I really feel and I hate to, you know, to knock anyone like this. But when he was put into that position it was almost when you could start seeing the downfall yeah, or, but, or you felt it. But, you know, I, I will give Rhino this for Rhino to stay relevant as long as he has. And I don't feel like he's ever really wavered from that upper mid card level kind of talent. He's always been that upper mid card level talent. You know, you can cycle him in for a main event for six weeks and then cycle him back out. And in another year or two, you can cycle him back in like it, he's believable for that, but man, I never would have thought, you know, looking back at ECW at that period in time that in 2019, Rhino would be the guy that was still relevant. Well, again, you know, look at, you know, who he came up with. I mean, he ran with a, with a great crew there. He was with Edge and Christian. You know, he, he came from that class there. And those are smart guys. You know, outside of injuries, those guys would still be rock and roll. And, and Rhino has been, you know, fortunate enough that he hasn't had anything overwhelming that his sideline him. He's been smart enough at times to step away when need be to, to rest himself. And I think it's not even just to rest yourself. It's how can we miss you if, if you if you ain't a cop? And he's known to do that. And as you said, he's known that that value of his where you can bring him in because even, you know, at his height, he looks – it just looks mean. Yeah. I mean, this guy is put together. And he looks uh, about it, the it, same age now that he was in ECW. The, the guy hasn't aged one bit. He's probably in better shape now than he was in ECW. And he's one of those individuals, you know, as at the top of the show, as we're honoring the great Harley race, he does everything so well. I mean, this guy got, he got over on eating cheese whiz and crackers in WWE. Is Rhino a hall of famer? I absolutely believe so. I think he will be too. 
when you look at it, and you know, this goes back to that great argument. Everybody just wants to, oh, you got to have all these glorious championships and WrestleMania main events. No, what's about your contributions overall to the business? And, and if you can, anything you've done for 19 years, and you know, who you ran with and saw their success, you had to influence them. Who you've helped along the way, and absolutely, Rhino deserves to, to damn near be in any Hall of Fame. Yeah, just absolute tenure, you know? God, he got Heath Slater over, for God's sake. I mean, yeah, it was a brief moment in time, but he got Heath Slater over. You know what? Hey, that's hey, that's what the hell are we talk about? Throw all ECW, anything in TNA, Impact Wrestling, anything on the independence, anything you did in Canada, anything coming up in this 19-year career, we'll always remember him as the first ever SmackDown tag team champion yep. of the new of the new age. True story. Let's talk about Summer Supercard. Rick, this is a uh, Ring of Honor has a big show coming up on August 9th. Yeah, that same weekend. Yeah. Who knew? Friday, it's going to be ROH, Saturday NXT, Sunday WWE. I didn't even realize Summer Supercard was August 9th. Yeah, I actually picked up on this this afternoon. I just saw it on my feed, went to it. It's Again, man, I mean, it's we're running out of dates for shows. Yeah. I mean, there's so much going on. My God, and then G1 Final is, gee, Christmas. Welcome to August, ladies and gentlemen. So let's run through the card here. We'll, we'll try to get a preview for this uh, maybe Monday in the locker room. Caristico, Saberano Jr., and Stuka Jr. are going to take on Barbaro, Cavarino, Heikachero, and... Templario, I've never heard of any of these guys except, well, I know who the first team is. I know Caristico, Saberano Jr., and Stuka Jr., but I, I'm not familiar with the other team at all. Get ready for a car crash. Dot, dot, dive. Bandito and Mark Haskins, representing Lifeblood, going to take on Jay Lethal and Jonathan Gresham. Looking forward to that one. No disqualification. Roosh takes on Dalton Castle. Women of Honor Championship on the line as Kelly Klein defends against Tasha Steeles. ROH World TV title on the line. Our good friend of the show, Shane Taylor, defends against Hot Sauce, Tracy Williams. ROH World Championship on the line as Matt Taven defends against one half of the Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley. That match is just so weird to me. How you become like, go from a tag team guy, take a year off, come back and get a world title shot is just beyond me. And then your big main event for the second pay-per-view in a row, the ROH World Championship not headlining the show because it's going to be the Briscoes taking on G.O.D. for the ROH World Tag Team Championship. Oh yeah, in a ladder war. Rick, I can't wait for this match. I knew this match was coming, and I just didn't realize for one reason or another that it's next weekend. And now, I'm incredibly excited. This is the match I'm most looking forward to next weekend. Well, we're talking about a weekend full of professional wrestling here. Ring of Honor, WWE, Briscoe vs. G.O.D., OMG, this is going to be the match you need to see this weekend. This is a ladder war of epic proportions. Uh, this is go I think this thing might this thing could potentially blow away any ladder war that we've ever seen before. You, you got a sense of a real hatred between these two teams. This is and then outside of everything, the competitiveness that's going to actually be happening here for the discussion to be up there in in, in the top two, three. I mean, this is going to elevate one of these two to hands down being the best tag team in the world right now. I mean, the Briscoes got to go over, right? 
Like, I don't see them putting these titles back on G.O.D. You would think that. You would think but, that. But, you know, I, I think there, you know, there is a little sense of doubt going into this thing because it, you get the sense that this truly is personal. And, you know, outside of the world of KFAB, you've got the politics of professional wrestling. And these two want to say that they are the absolute freaking best in the world. And sometimes your ego is getting away. And that might not be the, like the real harsh truth of the scenario, but you, but they've done such a tremendous job of, of laying that belief within any fan. So no matter how you want to look at this thing, this is a true battle to claim the best tag team in the world. And then the stakes have never been so high to put this thing in a ladder. You know what else is this match has going for it? In just a couple of weeks, Escalera de la Murta, the ladder match of death, is going to go down between the Lucha Bros and the Young Bucks at All Out. These guys are going to be on a mission to set this standard so high that people say this match was better. Well, let's let's look at this thing here real quick. When we're talking about and we're trying to rank the best tag team in the world right now. Those four, ain't it? It's these four, unquestionably, right? I, I can't think of anyone even close. I have to put the Usos in there. I have to put the Revival in there. I, I, I have to I put talking, the Good Brothers in there. I am talking today in performances, not potential. What are you delivering? I ain't getting shit from the Usos right now. I ain't getting shit from the Revival. I ain't getting shit from the Good Brothers. If you're under a WWE red and blue banner, you're not giving us absolute shit right now as opposed to these four teams. That I completely agree with. And these four teams have to... This is it. I mean, you could also talk about Evil and Sonata. They're probably the best team in Japan right now, and I think that they are actually worthy of that conversation, even though it feels like they're so disrespected. But that's pretty much it, man. When, I, when I'm when i going through the greatest tag teams in the world, that's the list right there. Yeah, and we're not talking about potential or talent or favorites. We're talking about who's producing, who's out there putting on these amazing matches. I Without question, I know if you took the handcuff, the Usos would be out here right with these four teams, tearing it up anywhere they went, all around the globe. They would be right there. That's not the case. They got their payday. They're on. They're riding with the red and blue. So screw you. That's what you get for it, okay? If you're going to live on that side of the fence, you got to deal with what comes with it. You're being handcuffed. When we're talking about the reality of a situation, who's delivering, it's these four teams. And as you're laid out there, Jargo, we got two of them coming in out of the gate first. It's your move, buddy. They are going to set the bar unbelievably high right here. This is going to be ridiculous. Anyone out there is listening and they're thinking, I've seen ladder matches before. What else can you do here? Scratch that. You haven't seen anything till you've seen a ladder wars. And I will promise you, come Saturday, you haven't seen anything until you've seen this ladder wars match. What's your favorite ladder war? Do you have a favorite, like a personal favorite ladder war? For me, it's, it's generico and steam. Yeah, I, I think I have to agree 100% with the Jargo. And, and, and mainly, you know, we've seen some crazy things unfold inside a ladder match. And that's fine. Anyone can go out there and do that on a given night. But what's really great about these is the build. But there was no build better than that year long between, you know, Generico and Steen. I mean, everything on the line there, how intense that thing was. And it truly was a never say die. I mean, it was, you know, the fight for everything. That was where that kind of was driven from in that side of that match. Yeah, I mean, that match was so brutal that El Generico moved to Mexico and now he's raising orphans in Tijuana. And we've only heard from him a couple of times since via Twitter. 
but that's it. He's doing great work down there. Just great work. Let's talk about NXT TakeOver Toronto because, Rick, there's there's one other tag team that we didn't mention, but we'll talk about them here in a second. Let's, uh, let's kind of run through this card. We'll have a full preview of this one on Hitting the Marks next week. NXT TakeOver Toronto, August 10th. NXT Championship, three stages of hell. I am looking forward to this thing. Adam Cole takes on Johnny Gargano, and the deal here is Gargano gets to name a stipulation, Adam Cole gets to name a stipulation, and if it goes to a third fall, general manager William Regal will name the stipulation. Johnny wants a street fight, so we're going to get a street fight between Adam Cole and Johnny Gargano. Adam Cole, he went deep into his bag of tricks, and he wants a single one-on-one -on -one match with Johnny Gargano. That's his stipulation. A single one-on-one -on -one match because you can't beat me in a regular wrestling match. It's freaking heel great 101, man. Um, Rick, I, I don't know how I feel about this matchup because it came out yesterday. Tommaso Ciampa is set for an in-ring return in mid-August. He was supposed to be out until like January, but we're, they're saying mid-August who would you rather have Goldie in custody of when Tommy Entertainment comes back? Well, now they know he, for some time now, he's been able to train, no contact, correct? And we've had correct. that for a couple of weeks. So now it's looking like he's going to get the full pass. He's going to get the green light. I tell you what, what's very intriguing as I sit here and read this, that he's at the potential mid-August when this thing gets to a third fall, I think it needs something, a, a different stipulation on it, no matter what they want to do, make it a cage match, uh, you know, but whatever William Regal announces, cage match, oh, by the way, guest referee. Oh, shit. And then you then you enter Ciampa into this picture. What, how's he gonna, how's he gonna call this thing? What side's he gonna go towards? He's got the right to come chasing for that championship. Who would he rather, you know, be holding that? Who does he want to be opposed to against in that ring? I think that's your unique dynamic in this thing. So when Adam Cole puts down Johnny Gargano, because that's what I'm assuming is going to happen, is, is Adam Cole wins this match. Where does Johnny Gargano go from there? Well, I think you know, it also goes back here. If it's Ciampa that maybe causes it. Does he ultimately break and go, you know, what we were kind of seeing him teetering towards, that, that Joker-esque kind of villain? Does he disappear for a while? Does he let these guys move on without him? I think that adds more to this intrigue. If you want a tremendous cliffhanger coming out of, you know, TakeOver Toronto, I think that's the direction you go in. And Adam Cole, I, Adam Cole has to win this match because this is going to be the undisputed TakeOver. Rick, the tag team titles are also on the line as the Undisputed Era, otherwise known as Red Dragon, who also belongs on that list of the best tag teams in the world, is going to challenge the Street Profits for the NXT Tag Team Championships. I'm going with Undisputed Era to take these titles because it seems like they want the Street Profits on Monday Night Raw, which I, we can argue about whether that's a good idea or not, but... I'm going with Undisputed Era to take these titles. I could definitely see that there. I just, I, I think you, you made this move with the Street Profits. I don't understand the the need to potentially rush them to Raw right now. Uh, if they are going to be there, though, I hope it. I, I think it lends credibility to them if we can see those see them with these championships. 
let them cross promote a little bit. Well, they've you been know? on Raw for like six weeks now with these t- championships. They I haven't know. wrestled so, the match, but well, they're that's there. What I'm saying. You know, let's get them involved in something. I wish you know, they'd just give out. us a freaking reason why in the hell they're there. I believe it was Bello over Wednesday in Wednesday in the locker room, Hameen Media Group. Um, I'll sort of plug there on Facebook, the Hameen Media Discussion Group. But he had mentioned, you know, Ricochet going up against the OC. He's going to need some backup. I mean, could you get behind Ricochet and the Street Profits? I can get behind Ricochet and Montez Ford. Can leave D'Angelo Dawkins to go hang out with RVD or whatever the hell it is that he's doing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on here. Hold on. We're, we're not going to condone anyone getting behind Ricochet. He can take care of that himself. But could you see them aligning in a stable to take on the OC? Could, could, you, could you see that? I, I think he, Montez Ford should just drop D'Angelo Dawkins and become a tag team with Ricochet. Uh, another thing that they, uh, Billy Ray Valentine mentioned, if you're looking for an actual tag team with uh, with Ricochet, Rich Swan, they they've done some damage together before. Yeah, if they want to bring Rich Swan back, right? I was gonna say, I mean, if you could go, you know, persuade, I, I think he'd make that jump. I think he would too. You know, he, he wants to get back to that payday. NXT North American Championship on the line as Velveteen Dream finds himself in a triple threat match against former NXT UK champion Pete Dunne and the Undisputed Era's Roderick Strong. Going with Roddy. That's right. Undisputed Era draped in gold at the end of the night. Uh, I absolutely could see him stealing one here. You know, the champ doesn't doesn't have to take the pin. You know, he doesn't have to look bad in any way. Uh, I think overall, though, this is probably going to be, just because of this fan base, what they kind of gravitate towards. This is probably going to be the match that individuals are talking about at the end of the night. I just don't understand why Pete Dunne is in this match or why he wants the NXT North American Championship. Well, he's going to, he's going to add some flavor to it. You're bringing, you're, you're grabbing a little, you're getting some interest from that UK. Those that have seen him realize what he's going to bring, and he can take that fall in case they want to go with Roddy. I meant inside the narrative, but yes, that all makes perfect logical sense. Uh, NXT. Well, he's been, all right, outside, inside the narrative. He's been the UK champ, trying to elevate himself. Let's go grab the North American. He could be, he's represented to, you know, two different areas of NXT, and then you start building your attention towards. Maybe that could be his gimmick with all these NXTs. Pete Dunne could be the first man to travel the globe and capture every area's distinctive championship. He could be he could be the next Canadian champion. Hunter trying to keep him as far away from the main roster as humanly possible. Pete Dunne, your first NXT Japan champion. Uh, NXT Women's Championship on the line. Shayna Blazler is going to tangle with Mia Yim. Rick, this has kind of been fun because they've kind of flipped the script a little bit. Mia Yim is sick and tired of Shayna Baszler and the horsewomen shit. So she's just been going around and randomly taking out the horsewomen while they're at the uh, training facilities and whatnot. Makes total sense. Unlike on Monday Night Raw, when Becky Lynch shows up to interrupt a training session with Natalia and Fit Finley. Made absolutely no logical sense whatsoever. It was just like they saw what was going on in NXT and were like, hey, that looks like a good idea. Let's do that. Unfortunately, it just didn't make any storyline sense on the main roster. Uh, I got a feeling with that, you probably had a writer that was down at the Performance Center, had saw something, and just came up and just pitched something, and Vince was like, oh, it's genius, man. Oh, that's not, great not shit. Even, not even realizing that it's happening within his own company, but uh, that's, that's neither here nor there. 
any chance Shayna Baszler drops this title to Mia Yim? Like, it, it seems like we're just waiting for Baszler to lose this championship. This is the match that it doesn't feel like she should lose the championship, which makes me think she might lose the championship. I think what you run into is a we don't really need to focus on Baszler here. This is turning into a Brock Lesnar situation where it's almost you don't care who. It's just, and it's not so much that you want her to drop it. It's just like, okay, I mean, we've been through this rinse and repeat. We've been through this cycle so many times. We're just waiting for her to get that move to the red or blue, which at this point, I'm not really sure why people are so intrigued or, you know, so fascinated by that. If we've seen the track record, they're absolutely going to do nothing with her. I mean, that absolutely that division is a complete freaking joke up there. Uh, I don't even know where I'd insert her right now, where I'd feel confident that she is going to have a, a lasting run. I, I'd hate to throw her right into a championship opportunity, unless you know you're you're looking for Ronda to return for something at WrestleMania. But I, I don't trust them to to give anyone an extended shelf life up there. I would be absolutely terrified of what they would do with her here. I'm hoping she retains, but they absolutely, they need to find something that's really going to spark some interest. And, and I think it's one of the two names that you've got next on the list. Yeah. The, this is going to be a first, the first time that a women's match is going to be the grudge match alongside of the four championship matches as Candice LeRae, everybody's favorite cupcake is going to take on the newly turned heel evil bitch Io Shirai, the queen on her quest for the NXT Women's Championship, which kind of makes you wonder if maybe they do put the title on Mia Yim just so you can go to Io versus Mia going forward. But I'd much rather I see think, Candice and Shayna. I, I like I like this change of direction with Shirai. I love the look and all that. You know, I think it's it's very fitting of her. She she looks so evil in, in that sense, and she's got. She's got vengeance on her mind. She wants to, and this is something that they need. Instead of just keep throwing the same individuals at Baszler, they're reinventing her. But I still think you want you want that major that major money program, especially if there's really any truth about the interest of taking NXT to that larger platform to an FS1. Candice is someone that speaks volumes. People can relate to her. They're going to buy into that, especially that all-American girl next door. But can absolutely across the ring from the big bad wolf and Baszler. That sells on regular television. Now that's that's a story that you see on any you know great drama, you know the biggest hits that we're talking about across all platforms of television. That's going to sell there. Both of those individuals are very relatable to your prime North American audience. You don't need these overly exotic looks that you got. Those are great compliments. You can move towards them, but you want to establish something, get a new direction going where Candice LeRae could eventually capture that thing. You know, if you're if they do make that move, that would start in October. What a perfect start that slow build now, really heat it up in October into the TakeOver Survivor Series weekend for a great payoff like that. They're killing the network. That's a whole nother conversation well, I, for. I, I, I got that there. It's, that's another thing out of that, you know. But if 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 they come to you and say, "Hey, this is happening," you need to put your best foot forward. That's anywhere at work, you know. Sometimes you might hate decisions, but if they say this is happening, again, you know, it comes back to you know. You hear all these people. If I work for WWE. I just do this. No, you wouldn't, because you wouldn't be there longer than a cup of coffee. Because Vince would tell you to pack your shit and get out. You need to take whatever bullshit he's throwing at you and try to put the most positive twist on. To add to, though, Candice making a run for that championship, I think that is more of a reason to get Johnny off television. 
Yeah, I completely agree to with get, that. To get him away, real quick, this came to me as we were running through these matches. Go back to that main event, though. The, the three stages of hell. You, you pick your pick your falls. If it goes to the third, Regal gets his. I pitched the idea of getting Ciampa as that guest referee. Let's talk about a potential agent on that match, Shawn Michaels. Let's talk about a um, a very memorable uh, SummerSlam moment when Shawn Michaels was the guest referee between Undertaker and Bret Hart, and all that you know the drama that was between those three and the suspense and the intrigue. And it was Michaels with the the chair shot. You know, was it missed? And what that triggered a great feud. I mean, could we see something similar to that? Maybe would he, would he go to that well and revisit, you know, give us a sample of that. We have heard some rumors that there is a potential of a Johnny Gargano versus Shawn Michaels match at a takeover. This would be a hell of a way to start setting it up. Well, I wouldn't have Michaels involved in this thing at all. He's just he's just producing. He's your agent on it. Well, I mean, would he go back and remember this from his past and how well it got everything put over? And you have Ciampa accidentally hit fucking Johnny with that chair. Gotcha. I put I put HBK in the role of special guest referee. I think you got more intrigue with Chopper because it's so much more involved. But you know, if you want to draw that more that casual viewer to bring people in, now we're getting all these rumors here that that Triple H is going to be involved with you know one of these NXT shows, something big that's going to be going on. Uh, and there's been numerous names that we've heard here. Let's uh, real quick NXT Takeover Cardiff. Coming up on August 31st, we've got a couple of matches announced here. UK Championship on the line. Walter is going to take on the very, very first NXT UK Champion in Tyler Bate. Is it the NXT UK Champion or is it still the WWE UK Championship? Have they ever like changed that? I believe it's still the WWE. I, I believe so. NXT UK Women's Championship on the line is Tony Storm defends against Kaylee Ray. And the NXT UK Tag Team Champions on the line as the Grizzled Young Vets defend in a tag team triple threat. Boy, you can bet I'm looking forward to that as they take on Gallus, Flash Morgan Webster, and Mark Andrews. Uh, Rick, one of the things that stands out to me, coming up on SummerSlam, August 11th, We've got all these women's matches. We've got Trish versus Lita, or Trish versus Lita, I wish. Uh, Trish versus Charlotte, Bailey versus Ember Moon, and Natalia versus Becky Lynch. I'm more excited about Shayna Baszler versus Mia Yim, Candice LeRae versus Io Shirai, and Tony Storm versus Kaylee Ray. I like all six of these women more than all six of those women because all WWE has done over the course of the last couple of weeks is make all of these women unlikable. Well, I think this this lies right on creative here. This is, in a lot of the cases, yes, these, you know, what we're going between the NXTs, these women are, I, I would say... Uh, yeah, superior talents, you know, outside of you know, maybe a couple that we're going to see at SummerSlam. But ultimately, why are you invested? Because they have built these programs. They actually have personas. We know what the character is. We care about them. We can connect. Where with SummerSlam, it's, you know, it's six months of booking in six minutes. We're getting two-week builds here, booking all over the place. They're throwing whatever against the wall, hoping something sticks. I mean, you, you know, essentially... It's the legend. Trish Stratus taking on the future legend, the leader of the evolution, that the alpha female in on the red and blue, the precious Sharshar. I don't even understand outside of only two week build. What the hell is the point of this? 
Well, okay, let's talk about Charlotte and Trish for a second, right? So two weeks ago, Charlotte comes out and she cuts that promo about how she wants this big match at SummerSlam and, and blah, 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 and a, a big challenger. And everybody and their freaking brother who pays attention to the WWE at all had to know this was going to be Trish Stratus. We all knew it, and especially last week when they announced that Trish is going to be coming to Nashville, Tennessee, or was it Memphis? No, it was Memphis. She comes all the way down to Memphis because Jerry the King Lawler is holding a king's court, and it's like, why the hell was Trish there? They just made it out like, oh, well, you know, she couldn't be at the Raw reunion, so she thought she'd just fly halfway across the country and drop by SmackDown to come hang out with Jerry Lawler for five minutes. Bullshit. Just, just give me a fucking reason. Just have Charlotte challenge fucking Trish and Trish shows up to respond to Charlotte. It's not that goddamn hard, but instead they're just like, Oh, Trish just happened to be in the neighborhood and dropped by SmackDown. Oh, how convenient that Charlotte could come out and issue a challenge to her. It's just so fucking stupid. And this is why when you look at the numbers before Raw Reunion and then the numbers at Raw Reunion, yeah, Raw Reunion, it went up like 600,000 viewers. But this week, they lost 700,000 viewers. The ratings were actually lower this week than the week before the fucking Raw Reunion. And again, this goes back to someone in creative, you know, the VP of what the fuck, because honestly, I mean, it wouldn't even if you're going on a two week build here and you actually had more than this. You, you had to know who you were talking about a month ago when Charlotte said, I can't believe, you know, the alpha, the queen is going to be left off of SummerSlam. This is a crime that needs to be corrected. I am going to find somebody. Then in that turnabout. You should have had her. You love your social media presence. You should have been building this up with her, with Charlotte, going after certain legends. And it should have been around, I am the leader of, of the evolution. I am the reason that this is happening. I am the reason that people care about women in WWE. It is me, Charlotte Flair. And what's really irritated me during this entire journey that I have carried this division on my back is that you have got these, these dinosaurs, these relics that were that were left in brawl and panties matches that were out there in pillow fights that they, that they are trying to claim that they were the trailblazers that, that they kind of, they paved the way they opened the doors for individuals like Charlotte flair, like a Sasha Banks, like a, like a Bailey, like a Becky Lynch. You have these relics claiming, trying to grab that thing, that glory that should have been the fuel with Charlotte to say, nah, I'm not having any of that. Any of you, any of you dinosaurs, any of you that think that you have claim to the greatness that I have established in the women's evolution, I want one of you to step up, meet me at SummerSlam. In fact, just don't meet me at SummerSlam. I want you to meet me on SmackDown Live, and I am going to set up. I am the queen. I need a king to host me. So then you should have had Charlotte on the king's court. And then you have the suspense that you're building. Why individuals should tune into that SmackDown is who's going to answer this challenge? Which of which of these quote unquote legends or Hall of Famers that she's been going at are going to be the ones to step up? And then at that point, then you introduce Trish Stratus. 
You're right, dude. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Just like Ember Moon versus Bailey doesn't make any sense where you've got baby faces just jumping each other to make both of them completely unlikable. Neither one of them have any kind of character. The fans aren't invested in either one of them. You've got Becky Lynch going down to the performance center and jumping Natalia from behind for, you know, training for a match because that makes fucking sense. Like none of the women's stuff makes any kind of logical sense to me. Hell, like, really, the only things that are going on that are worth a shit are the Randy Orton thing that you were talking about earlier on in the show alongside of Kofi and this Brock Lesnar versus Seth Rollins thing. And to go back to what we were talking about Monday in the locker room, you mean to tell me you still think there's a Seth Rollins heel turn coming? They put all the sympathy in the world on Seth Rollins this week on Monday Night Raw. Yeah, real quick with the ladies there. Here's the problem with inside that entire division. It's this, and they, they, they've said it a couple of times in the programming, even Stevens. No, that's bullshit. It's 50-50 within each program. People can't get invested. And then you get this report. Vince McMahon doesn't like the Ember Moon character. What character? He doesn't, he doesn't. Or can we start just proclaiming him racist? Because the only character she has is a uh, cool eye, like contact lenses, and she's black. Yep. So he just doesn't get it. He doesn't connect with that. But yeah, there's 50 50 within there. And then he got bliss being sprinkled in. Now it looks like she's going to get added to that match because they don't have any faith that people are getting behind it. Well, of course they aren't going to get behind it. You're not giving them a direction with a character. It's just blah, 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 blah. There's a belt on the line. We say you should love the women's evolution. Keep loving it. It's absolute BS. That's what we're getting there. But as we did mention, you know, one of the other things that they are doing that absolutely you, you have to give him credit where it's due. It was so magnificently done with Randy Orton. He brought that thing to life, taking you back in history. I, you know, I made you 10 years ago. I made you now. And you made the biggest mistake of your life trying to correct whatever kind of issue you had with me. Cause I'll end you again, brother. I'm Randy Orton. That's what I do. I end people cross me wrong and you're out of here. And it, even, you know, it got me fired up thinking about, you know, like Mr. Anderson or the other people that we've heard. You know, I, I would have loved if he would have done some kind of hints in there. Like, ask some of these other people what happens when they cross me. I hope you got to drive to go start your own company, buddy, because I'll have you out of here in a heartbeat. I mean, something like that would have popped people. And it, it just would have spoken to how much of a dick Randy Orton is. I mean, that's the only maybe a little bit further I would have went with that. But that thing was so massively done. I hope we get something with Kofi as a rebuttal next week. Because I, I didn't think that he really picked up on it. We still get the, you know, the dancing, juking and jiving, pancake tossing Kofi out there. Uh, main event on SmackDown, though, was great. But why are we getting this on television? Why, why is it every week that you run AJ Styles out there in these great matches that, that could be headlining pay-per-views and you're giving them away on, on television? Well, what happened was we did the SmackDown preview Monday in the locker room, recorded it about 10 o'clock a.m. my time. And by 7 o'clock p.m. Tuesday, my time, when uh, SmackDown Live started, they rewrote the show twice. So what do we do? Let's take two of the best performers that we got in the company and just throw them out there for a throwaway champion versus champion match. Like to me, the only thing that was worth watching on SmackDown was the Kevin Owens promo. That was absolutely freaking hilarious. That popped me like absolute freaking crazy. Him the 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 the, the lackadaisical insult your intelligence, Kevin Owens is just money to me. I love that character. I always have when he's coming out and I don't know how we're going to make it through a whole night without Shane McMahon, the inconsiderate, just prickhead Kevin Owens. It's, it's it, you great. Know, 
really going back to the Raw reunion, and, and they got so much heat for this thing that they didn't have some kind of interaction between him and Stone Cold. The more that you see the development of this Kevin Owens persona, it makes sense that they kept them apart. So you weren't getting all those, you know, those comparisons and those parallels because this is so different than what Stone Cold was. And outside of, you know, I want to go against Authority of McMahon and the Stunner. They, they are so different. Yep. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't yet, please hit that subscribe button. Then find the entire HTM podcast network online, hittingthemarks.com. Visit our friends over at thegorillaposition.com as they tell the stories of pro wrestling storytellers. Visit our friends over at lastwordonprowrestling.com for your daily pro wrestling needs. Find me across all social media at NotJargo, even though chances are I'm not going to talk to you, especially if you're from foreign countries who think that I'm going to give you money. RBV, how do the peeps, the freaks, and the geeks find you? Well, as always, you can keep up with all things Rick Fickery across all social media platforms at the real RBV. I know we're pressing for time. I got some big announcements coming up Monday in the locker room, so I hope everybody will tune in then. That's it for this week's show. We'll talk to you Monday in the locker room. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. Don't give up. Your bad guy! Help